0: Thank you all so much for being here. We're competing with Nancy Pelosi, so uh, thanks for coming to this one. Nancy um, Pelosi. I'm Nina Satija. I'm an investigative reporter for the Texas Tribune. And on behalf of the Texas Tribune, I'm very happy to welcome you to the fifth annual Texas Tribune Festival and to Environment and the Legislature. Thank you so much for being here and let me introduce our distinguished panelists. Uh, to my left here, we have Jason Isaac, Republican of Dripping Springs. He's a member of the House Environmental Regulation Committee. <laughs> To his left, Tracy King, Democrat of Uvalde, is chairman of the House Agriculture and Livestock Committee and a member of the House Natural Resources Committee. Next we have Eddie Rodriguez, Democrat of Austin, vice chairman of the House Environmental Regulation Committee and Jeannie Morrison, Republican Republican of Victoria, is chairwoman of the House Environmental Regulation Committee. So please join me in thanking our panelists for being here today. We're gonna have a 45-minute discussion, give or take, followed by a 15-minute question-answer period. Uh, Just a reminder for everyone to silence their phones, please. If you'd like to tweet, you can use the hashtag TTF. And let's get started. I just wanted to start, um, actually, by reading you all a quote. It's a reaction from the head of the Texas Office of the Environmental Defense Fund, Jim Marston. This is what he told me after the 2015 legislative session ended. He said, the legislature has been as hostile to clean water and clean air as I've ever seen in 27 years in working on environmental issues at the Capitol. Agree or disagree? Let's go down the line. Representative Isaac.
1: I, I couldn't disagree more. We had some great legislation that uh, I worked with on a local level to do really the opposite of what his statement is there, and that's to protect our private property rights and protect our local groundwater supply. And so uh, I think we did some fantastic things in the Environmental Regulation Committee uh, to protect our environment and our, our air quality is cleaner today than it was 20 years ago and we have maybe a few more people living in Texas <laughs> today than we did a few years ago so I, I, I couldn't disagree more.
0: Chairman King?
2: Well, I, uh, I, uh, I would disagree, uh, perhaps not disagree more, but first of all, I want to thank everybody for coming out here and listening to us rather than take a nap on Saturday afternoon after <laughs> lunch, um, which is... But... Um, I've read that statement, I've heard that statement, and uh, to a certain extent, you know, they're voicing their disappointment in a couple of pieces of legislation that didn't go the way they wanted them to do. Uh, but they're losing focus of the big picture, and there were a number of pieces of legislation, particularly in uh, water conservation areas, that I think, that I consider environmental issues and have a big impact on the environment in a lot of different ways that we made a lot of progress on. Um, in addition to that, um, there were certain things that were done in terms of diversions of parks and wildlife monies, which I, I consider environmental-type issues, and those were done, and we uh, have a lot more money for those types of issues than we used to. So there were a lot of successes. There were a couple of things that didn't go the way they wanted to. And of course, any organization, uh, good, bad, or indifferent, whether we agree or disagree with them, they have to have an enemy for the next session to continue to raise money and generate membership. And so uh, if there's not a bad guy, then it's hard to keep people interested. So. You're gonna find a bad guy all the time, just about. But uh, I think they're focusing on a couple of things there that, that I understand their disappointment, and share their disappointment, in fact, in some of them. But uh, there were a number of good things that I thought were, were good for the environment and good for
3: Texas also.
0: Vice Chairman Rodriguez.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, and I know Jim Marson very, very well. Um, I think there were some missed opportunities. I mean, I think Jim, Jim's statement is that's his opinion on, you know, from his experience, but... Um, Certainly, there's some missed opportunities to do some better things for the environment. Some good bills that were out there, um, uh, but, and there and there were so obviously some. I think as uh, the chairman, Chairman King stated, there were some specific bills. I think that that he's speaking to that were that did pass that were, were uh, that I would tend to agree with him on 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 those some of those specific issues. But um, but I think there obviously I think this past session was some missed opportunities to do some better things for the environment.
0: Chairwoman.
4: Well, we all we all have differing opinions, I think, but I think the uh, most important thing is that we work diligently to try to balance uh, the difference between property rights, owners rights, water, uh, making safe environment, and I think that we worked on that very uh, diligently. And we all work together. I'm very proud of my vice chair, Rodriguez, and my committee member, Jason Isaac, and uh, Chairman King, we've worked together on a lot of issues for a long time. And I think it is a very delicate balance. Uh, you can't tend to go totally one way or the other. You have to work on all the issues and it's not gonna please everyone. But we worked very diligently in our committee to try to do that and try to uh, work with people to make changes that we felt like were things that were needed. Uh, we have the interim that we'll be studying more issues. And I agree, there were some missed opportunities. Uh, some things that we wanted to do, and sometimes in the legislative process, it doesn't end up the way that you would like for it to, and so we do have some things that we will be studying during the interim. I'm sure we'll get our interim charges probably in the next few weeks, and so I look forward to doing that, and uh, we all work together very well. This whole panel works together very well.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about what we feel are some of the missed opportunities from this session, and I think anyone in the panel should feel free to weigh in on that. Let's start with Vice Chair. Well, I mean, I
3: think there's some of them are, are bigger things, some of them are, are maybe perhaps smaller things. I mean, uh, just to throw one out there, Representative uh, uh, Farias from San Antonio had a bill dealing with uh, computer uh, computers and some televisions and being dumped in some landfills. And that's something that I think we've actually, there's been legislation like that over uh, several sessions. And, you know, it's something that we really need to seriously look into. That is directly, you know, could, has a direct impact on the environment, that, you know, potentially groundwater, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, that, that bill didn't pass. There was, uh, uh, you know, the, the Clean Power Plan uh, idea. I had a bill, there were several bills uh, out there. Uh, I had a, an idea that let's, let's Texas, let, let's do our own thing. Let's figure out how we want to uh, abide by the Clean Power Plan that the EPA is, uh, is, has set out to do. And so, we, you know, things like that that we could have done that didn't quite, quite pass. Um, I think those are just two, two uh, you know, instances, two small instances.
1: I'll say there's been some legislative efforts over the last couple of sessions, and I, I took part in those to deal with uh, the issue of illegal tire dumps and trying to get rid of those dumps. And, and there, it's, it's clearly a problem in our state. We have issues throughout the state where these tires are just dumped uh, and they're not good for the environment. And we've got to find a solution. We've got to work together. We haven't had one that's been able to pass. Uh, the legislature, I've tried to work on one that would just prohibit the sale of used tires that don't meet current safety inspections. Uh, we, people shouldn't be buying tires that aren't going to pass inspection that aren't safe, but you can go out and buy a used tire right now that doesn't meet vehicle safety inspections. And, uh, but th- that, again, that's another part of the problem. We've, we've got to find a solution that deals with these tire dumps throughout the state, if you will, and, and preferably one that doesn't increase the burdens on the taxpayers or the consumers by driving up prices. So I think think we missed an opportunity there, but hopefully something we can look at during the interim.
0: Chairwoman, you mentioned missed opportunities, and I was curious for you. What do you think the legislature could be doing, especially from your committee next session?
4: Well, one of the major issues that um, we dealt with in our committee and passed out of our committee and out of the Texas House was continuing the TERP legislation Mm -hmm. and doing some really good revisions to it. And we were all favorable, and, of course, that did not pass in the end. And that's something that we'll definitely be working on during the interim. It's very important. Uh, We've had so many great strides of reducing pollution. Uh, Our major polluters are car vehicles still. Industry has done a very good job, but that was one of the disappointments that I had. And I know uh, Representative Isaac also and and Vice Chair Rodriguez. I mean, that was something that we were very uh, positive for,
0: and it did not pass in the end. So that's something that we'll definitely be working on. Just to remind the audience, that TERP is the Texas Emissions Reduction Program, major Correct. pollution reduction program in Texas. And I think a lot of it is grants for cleaner vehicles, cleaner trucks, things like that. Mm-hmm. So something I'm sure will be first on the agenda for next session. Um, Chairwoman, I wanted to ask you what, you, what are you most proud of that came out of your committee from this session? From
4: this legislative yeah, session? Yeah, from this session. I think um, the thing I'm most proud of is how the entire committee worked together and how we worked on trying to resolve things that were coming to our committee and what worked and what did not work and working with other members of the legislature. And I think we did a really good job of that. And I'm very proud of our committee as a whole. We had great committee members. uh, We had some great legislation that passed. And as we've talked, we have others that we need to work on. Mm
0: -hmm. Any particular legislation anyone feels was really a success for the environment this session, whether it came out of your committee or something that you voted on or helped sponsor?
1: I think Contested Case Reform was a big one that came out that was really a big win for consumers. It was a big win for Texans and for taxpayers. Uh, and I, by questioning, if you go back and you watch the tape, I consistently asked people that were coming up to testify during that, and I asked them, do you or your organization that you're affiliated receive any financial benefit, or have received any financial benefit from uh, a contested case being resolved either in court or out of court? And, and even uh, one of my constituents, and she looked at me like, I have no idea what you're asking me or why you're asking me this. But the, 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 the answer was, Consistently, no, not at all, not at all. We don't receive any financial benefit from any contested cases. And one particular organization said, no, we do not receive any financial benefit. The following day, I got an over three page letter uh, clarifying their statement. And so uh, there are some efforts to to drive business out of the state of Texas and to hurt consumers and to hurt job opportunities. Uh, And I think we've we've done a better job with that contested case reform and leveling the playing field and so I was, I was very happy that bill came out of our committee and is now law.
0: Let's talk a little bit about contested case hearings. And to remind the audience, uh, they're basically a process that allows the public to scrutinize and challenge industrial applications for environmental permits, wastewater discharge, and air pollution emissions. A big industrial plant comes to your neighborhood. And they're kind of like a trial. Companies and their critics are going to uh, present evidence and testimony in front of an uh, administrative law judge. Uh, and they'll then recommend to regulators what they should do, Uh, not a binding recommendation. Uh, What do the the rest of the uh, representatives on our panel think? uh, uh, Vice Chair Rodriguez, I think you told me earlier you could talk about this all day.
3: (laughs) I guess I should have set that off the record. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, and I think what what Chairwoman uh, Morrison was saying is true and I know that lots of times when the general public hears it from uh, the elected officials you know, you kind of roll your eyes, but it's very, very true that we, get, we all get along very, very well, Democrat or Republican. In that regard, it's very different than DC. So we do get along very well. I, I wasn't necessarily, um, I wasn't a supporter of, of the legislation. I thought it went a little bit too far, all due respect um, to the chairwoman. And, but the thing about that is that we did work together. I, I talked to Chairwoman Morrison many times about my, my concerns. I offered some amendments on the House floor. Um, I just think that um, that's probably one of the main things that the, the quote that you read at the very beginning from Jim, that's probably one of the main things he's talking about. And the idea being that it's just easier now to get a permit versus, you know, and then versus someone challenging that. And uh, it's 180 days now, the, uh, it, so it's much faster. It's, it's somewhat arbitrary in my view. Uh, I, I worked with with uh, Chairwoman Morrison to see about extending that time to maybe more days, uh, maybe maybe six months, maybe I mean maybe uh, closer to a year. Um, so, yeah, I mean I think that I don't share necessarily uh, my good friend Jason Isaac's uh, opinion on that. I think that's just one. <laughs> that's polite, right, Jason? Yes, very. Uh, we 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 disagree on that. I think now you know that being said, time time is money. I understand the idea of a, a contested case hearing going on for a very long time, and it could be, it could be burdensome. I understand that. I just, I just think that perhaps that went a little bit too, this particular bill went maybe a little bit too far. That's, that's my opinion of it. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, it just got, came to effect I think this September, if that's, is that, is that right? So we'll see how ultimately how that goes.
0: Chairman King, what does this mean? Does this mean anything for folks in your district?
3: This bill?
2: Well, it it comes up frequently um, in our part of the world because, uh, at least until recently, we were having an oil boom. And so there was a lot of, uh, there were lots of permits for wastewater disposal wells. There were lots of uh, permits for uh, surface disposal, uh, drilling, uh, things that are left over after fluids, the hard metals and things like that. And so we, this issue comes up a whole lot. And... You know, a number of years ago we put in a process for a public meeting, which TCEQ, so we can ask for a public meeting, and they'll come out and have the public meetings, and those things are usually well attended. Because in the past, there were not very many opportunities for people to voice their opinion about something. And and I've never met anybody that's asking for a landfill to be placed next to them, by the way. It just it just hadn't it happened, happened yet. Yeah. I'm waiting. But um <laughs> They didn't feel like they had a voice, and they didn't. And so a number of years ago, uh, one of the committees I was on, we put in place a deal for a uh, public meeting where the public can come out and they can uh, have extensive discussions in almost an unlimited time frame about it. And that gave them the opportunity to voice their opinion. TCEQ would take very careful notes. And that's been very, very helpful over the years. Uh, But it was not a contested case hearing. And so uh, a lot of the folks that have uh, opposed different things and been hired to oppose different uh, applications have become very, very sophisticated on designating somebody who's an affected party and by dragging the process out. Because I always tell people when they come to see me and they say, Look, we don't like that in our neighborhood. And I said, Well, I don't blame you, I wouldn't either. But you need to understand that TCEQ is a permitting agency, just like the Texas Department of Licensing and Regulation is a permitting agency. You know, they're not an agency to pass judgment on whether or not that's good or not for the, bat, for the community. They're there to pass judgment on whether that application is, is uh, administratively complete and it meets the, in, the environmental standards for that particular location. So they would always ask, well, how do we stop them? And I said, well, you bankrupt them. You know, you drag it out long enough where, where the small ones will just yell calf rope and they leave. And so there are, there are groups of environmental groups have gotten very, very good at that and probably better than what was intended in the original law. And so there was a need, I felt like, to amend the contested case process, and I, and I voted for the bill. Now, uh, when it comes time to decide who's an affected party, uh, that, that gave me pause, quite candidly. You know, it gives TCEQ the responsibility to do that. That could be a good thing. It could be that TCEQ is more open-minded about who can be an affected party than the current statutes require. But the fear is, on the environmental parts, and I share that fear, is that people who, uh, they're going to get very, very strict on who qualifies as an effective party. And if that happens, I think we need to revisit that situation. But I do think that there was a need for some contested case uh, reform. Uh, but in some areas, I, I do fear that this legislation might have gone too far. But that being said, I supported it because you, you have to allow a process to get an entity to get a permit whether you like what they're doing or not they have the right in just like anybody else to apply for a permit and get one in our district it's a uh, it's a huge issue we didn't have many contested case hearings because most of the people uh, didn't object enough to go and spend the money to go take it to a contested case hearing but it it is an issue that that I think we need to continue to monitor and I thought the committee uh, environmental reg committee I've served on that committee before and I thought they did a good job of trying to mediate the differences. But there's no question uh, Representative Rodriguez is right. That piece of legislation, maybe one or two, are the reason that the environmental groups think it was, or uh, saying what they're saying about this particular session. And that's my view.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted to ask one more question about this for you, Chairwoman, because I believe the residents in your district and who live in Nordheim are using this process right now through the Railroad Commission, not the TCEQ, but they're using a contested case hearing process to uh, protest the uh, oil field waste pits that are being proposed for their District, right? Well,
4: interestingly enough, the RORA Commission does not really have a contested case process as, like TCQ does. Okay. It's a totally different entity. This is only for TCQ, and this legislation was only for TCQ. Um, and the legislation was um, such as Chairman King was talking about, was to address some issues that there had become processes that people were gaming the system. And so we did not change the part of getting the draft permit at all. It's exactly the same process, the same time frame that people can come and protest and have their hearings and all. That did not change at all. What what happened was after someone proves that they have completed all of the requirements, and as Chairman King said, people don't want things in their backyard, but if they have gone through the process with the permitting process and they've been granted a draft permit and have proved that uh, they are, have adopted and have done everything they need for that permit, then, you, then that's when you start the contested case process is when that's finished, if there is an effective party that is protesting it. And so the, the beginning part through the draft didn't change at all. The issue was that if you looked at Texas, I mean, we've done so well as far as attracting business, but other Gulf states were taking our business away because their processes were a lot shorter, more concise, and uh, the way they did things were totally different. And so we were trying to do a balance of still giving everyone the opportunity for protest, because we need to have that, but also not getting to the point where you're gaming the system and we're losing business. I have uh, a company in my district that was wanting to do a huge expansion And we thought that was going to happen, and we just found out in the last four weeks they did a press release, they are going to Louisiana because our process was taking too long and we lost a several billion dollar expansion in my district. And so those were the type of things that were happening that we were addressing with this legislation. With all legislation, we look at it, see how it works. If there are issues, we will look at that during the interim and next legislative session. I think it was something that was very needed because of what was happening uh, to the results. The Nordheim issue, uh, the process that they're going through is with the Railroad Commission. The so issue is
0: with the TCQ. Right. Mine not the only Commission.
4: applies to TCQ, not the Railroad Commission. And the Nordheim issue basically is they're going through the permitting process through the Railroad Commission, mm-hmm. and to get that permit, we've been working on that for two years. Uh, then they will have to go to TCEQ if they get a railroad uh, commission okay. permit to continue on. So they're not the same. They're totally different. Effective parties. Nina, if,
2: if, if I may, yeah. um, uh, the Senate Bill 7 on C-109, before you move on to the contested case, I mentioned the affected parties. The other part that I think that we need to monitor very, very closely, and, uh, and I'm sure the committee will do that, is uh, the bill – appeared to shift the burden of proof, mm-hmm. and, and, and that, that could end up being unfair, uh, but I think it's something that needs to be uh, watched very closely. It could work just fine at the end of the day. But, and, and you know, the, the, the term gaming the system is used, I, and that, that, that's a little, in my view, it's a little harsh, I guess, but, but everybody does that. I mean, the lawyers for the companies that want the permits, they, they look at the law very, very critically and very closely to try and and get an advantage for their client, and the lawyers and attorneys that work for the environmental organizations, they look at it very, very closely, and they look, and, and as the law evolves, and things evolve, and the commission evolves, well then they start looking for angles to help their client. So, uh, as time goes on, it's a shift and move and target, and so you have to have legislation to uh, adjust it in order to keep the goals that uh, that you want in the first place. But I think we do also need to monitor the the, uh, the the possibility that shifts the burden of proof uh, from the person that's applying for the permit to the people that are contesting the permit.
3: And I know you want to move on, but let me just say, my my one of my big concerns as well, and it goes right to what Chairman King is saying, is the potential chilling effect. If there are people gaming the system, so to speak, there there are also there are people that are not, and this and I'm, I worry that the change in the law would have a chilling effect on very legitimate uh, concerns. But again. It's it just passed. Let's see how it, it all plays out. But I, I think I share uh, I uh, Chairman King's mm-hmm. concerns as well.
4: And can I make one final comment on? It that was a big too. bill for us. It yeah, was a it, was, it was. Okay. Yeah, that's so, yes, why
3: we're. It's, about. A it's a big bill to a lot of people in this room, so we mm-hmm. apologize. Yeah, yeah right. it,
2: good. it
4: was a big bill, and it's been an issue that's been looked at for many years. Uh, what, the reason the burden of proof was changed was because of some court rulings in the state of Texas for state courts, and that, those were the rulings that came down that the burden of proof, basically, that's why it was changed. The, is, the issue also with that, though, is we still have not changed that process of protest. And also, if the judge decides that there needs to be more time, that option is in the legislation also. So they can they can look, and they can look at the affected parties, if they feel like their rights are being infringed upon at all the judge can say we're not stopping here we're continuing on so we tried really hard to, to be fair on both sides and to make sure that everyone has the right to protest like they they should but also that you don't have someone coming in trying to stop business also so it's a it was a very delicate piece of legislation that we worked very hard has been worked on for many years mm-hmm. uh, and so we will we'll look and see, and if there, there are any issues we need to work on, definitely we'll be looking at that during the interim.
0: Okay. Thank you, Nina. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> actually gonna provide one number of context here for folks, which, is, uh, which I thought was interesting. There were almost 2,000 waste, water, and air permit applications filed with TCQ last year. Don't wanna put, on, put anyone on the spot. Does anyone wanna guess how many, com, how many contested case hearings were granted by TCQ out of that almost 2,000?
4: Very few. Few, 10. Listen to 10. Yeah. 10 yeah. hearings, yeah. yeah. And those are usually your very, very large companies right. that right. have
0: the contested cases. Mm-hmm.
1: There was a wastewater permit application that was going to be filed in Dripping Springs and probably still will be filed in Dripping Springs, and I, dealt, I, I filed a piece of legislation to specifically yes. deal with this, uh, and we've heard that the city of Austin will contest the case for that wastewater treatment facility when the standards for the permit that Dripping Springs is applying for is higher than what the city of Austin Abides by, and I I try to get a bill through the committee, and uh, we'll probably try again. If you don't, it's like the anti-hypocrite bill. If you don't meet the standards, you're protesting, then you can't contest the case. So it was still frustrating. We still Mm -hmm. have some of these issues that we'll be dealing with.
0: We really could talk about contested case hearings all day. We (laughs) could. Well, um, I do want to move on to another piece of legislation uh, that passed this session, and that was, I believe, House Bill Seventeen Ninety Four, and that was sort of about question was really, who should be able to sue big alleged polluters? Um, Is that something that the state should take the lead on? Is it something that counties can take the lead on? We know Harris County has filed several of these lawsuits, and um, that has made some business groups uh, concerned. Uh, What do you all think about this legislation? Do you think that it's got to be the state that makes this decision, or is it okay for a county to sue and, and reap the benefits if they win?
3: Anyone
2: want to go first? Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> um, well, I, I, I thought that Chairman Morrison was going to jump in on that one. But, um, you know, that's the deal where Houston sued, uh, was suing some people for some pretty large amounts of money. And um, there again, you know, 50 years ago, the law was changed where local communities could sue. I don't think anybody ever anticipated those kind of lawsuits uh, when that law was passed. And so, as time goes on and people get smarter, well then you have to make some changes. It, you know, it puts a cap on the amount that um, the local entity can get, but it doesn't put a cap, as I understand it, it doesn't put a cap on the total amount that can be granted. It just puts a cap on the amount that the local entities to right. get, right. and, and the, the theory is to discourage them from uh, trying to enhance their revenue stream uh, just by filing lawsuits and hoping that they get settled. and so. Uh, there again, I think the lawsuit is a wonderful, wonderful tool for dealing with bad actors. And, uh, and that process is still there. But then on the other hand, if it goes too far in, in one direction, it can be abused some. And the, the belief was, was that it was being abused in that particular case, uh, at least by a majority of the members of the legislature. So there again, it's another thing that we need to watch very closely. Uh, they can still be sued. The locals won't be able to recover quite as much as they could before or they only get to about two point a little one over five. two million dollars one point yeah two point and then five. two point
3: one five yeah two and then uh,
2: I think it changes statute of limitations too yeah five, five years, years. Mm-hmm. from uh,
3: from uh, none I don't think there is a statute of limitations okay yeah. so yeah, it puts was a, not put
2: some certainty into it so depends on whether your city will to sue somebody or whether your <laughs> yeah.
3: industry will to locate yeah yeah I think there's some aspects of it that make some sense to me, I have to say, and I wasn't a big supporter of that that bill either but I think seeing what happened in Houston, I think it was over a hundred million dollar mm-hmm. uh, you know lawsuit and whatnot I understand the trepidation by you know some uh, a business that that might be going through that kind of thing but again the the chilling effect right so you know if Travis county or city of Austin they're not going to sue if they can only get you know 2.15 million dollars out of it. I mean, it's just the the, the whole trial and the whole process could, could cost much more than that. So already you're kind of limiting that. Now, if the state doesn't have a cap on that, so if it's anything above uh, 4.3, 4.3 3, 3 million, yeah. yeah, then it then the rest goes to the state. But I think what what happens is that your local governments are going to be kind of reluctant to to maybe in a, in a legitimate case to potentially go after a, a bad actor. And I think that's you know that's going to be the end result of that. Of that legislation I think but but understanding that yeah there's some aspects uh, perhaps make make some sense I mean you, know, you don't want lawsuits that are just being filed and then have these exorbitant there's other ways that maybe you can deal with that than what I think that ultimately what that bill
1: did as a taxpayer I'd be concerned if you had the, the state of Texas suing Volkswagen per se mm-hmm. and then you also had maybe the county that I live in in Hays County if Hays County was doing that as well, I'd, I'd, I'd immediately contact my county officials and say, why are you doing that? My tax dollars are already at work with the state suing Volkswagen. Why, why does the county feel compelled to get in as well? And I think that's, uh, if there are counties in the state that are suing Volkswagen, I think their taxpayers and their citizens need to be asking their elected officials, the state's already doing this, why don't you let the state take the lead? Uh, and that, that's something that I do support, the state taking the lead in that particular yeah. case. Well,
0: I'm glad you brought up Volkswagen because I think it's gonna be interesting to see who gets, the, it's a question of who gets the money, right? Uh, if the state gets the money, I believe that goes into general revenue. Uh, I think some would say the counties need that money as well. They're the ones that have to comply with the ozone standard or whatever That's it right. is. I'm just curious if anyone else knows well, much about
2: I, that. I, I think the AG, of course, the, the previous AG and the current AG have no reluctance about suing people, uh, <laughs> and so uh, we'll see if they take that role on uh, vigorously in terms of uh, suing bad actors. But. Uh, you know it's a pass-through process State gets money and they pay for highways and schools so mm-hmm. yeah.
3: yeah well if, but um, did you but no. well, looking at the the volkswagen I- issue if you're if you're in a near non-attainment or non-attainment uh with for air quality i mean the local government i think would could would be better served that they would be able to sue and maybe get some of that money so that they can deal with that issue if it goes to gr as we all know here what happens with that money isn't necessarily going to be earmarked or go towards you know, non-attainment type, you know, those kind of programs. So potentially House Bill 1794 might have that chilling effect, too. Now, I think Dallas is already going to sue. Uh,
0: Dallas has decided not to sue, not it, I to believe. Sue.
3: Right. And, and, some, and some of that could be because of this very bill, because it's just going to cost a lot of money, and they're not going to be able to get any really much out of it. I mean, I, I, that's, that's hard to, to really say for sure, but I think that that's possible.
0: I think another interesting question that was brought up by 1794, and then of course HB 40, the major oil and gas legislation that passed is this question of local control. I think it's something that, people, uh, that, that the legislature struggled with a little bit this session to understand. How do you balance that? How do you balance the need for, as you talk about regulatory certainty with 1794, or HB 40, with local communities that wanna be able to sue polluters if they'd like, or if they want to be able to uh, limit oil and gas uh, activity um, in the ways that they believe are legal. How do you balance those two? And how do you think the, how do you feel about how the legislature balanced them this session and respect those with that legislation?
1: I'd say on the local level with specifically House Bill 40 and Representative Tony Dale, who has served at a local level on the city council in Cedar Park. He he puts this really well in a good analogy that I can understand and, and talks about some local issues that are more local than others. But when you talk about our oil and gas industry from the state that the most local government that's best to regulate that uh, is the state. And so I, I completely agree with that. And the work that I did this past session to make sure that we're our groundwater is protected in House District 45. Uh, that it may be something that we want to look and discuss beyond oil and gas and maybe look at our water. And is there more statewide water management that we need? Uh, because our our aquifers and, and Chairman King knows this a lot better than I do. I've learned over the last four years about how uh, about groundwater, more than I'd ever like to have learned, I thought. But we create these man-made boundaries, and the water doesn't flow by those man-made boundaries. And so I think we need maybe an HB 40 that looks at more water control by the aquifer statewide. So uh, when you start to look at these local control, I think we, are, have, we do have local control with our energy resources in the state.
0: An HB 40 for water. Yeah, I was glad you brought up water, uh, Chairwoman. Did you want to say something?
4: Before oh, we I was get just going to say on House Bill Forty. Also, I think Chairman Darby, and his committee, worked really mm. diligently to try. I mean, they met and met with concerned citizens, and it is a difficult issue. I mean, your backyard, but there again, as we talked about, oil and gas exploration is a statewide issue, and it would be very difficult to have a county by county rules and regulations in. When Chairman Darby was looking at some of the rules and regulations, they were even looking at. I mean, by the time you get the circumference of how far you can drill and all of those, I mean, it really it needed to be statewide because then you're infringing on other counties and other property. And so I think that issue uh, it was something that they worked very hard on to try to. And I know everyone's not happy about it, but it's it's an issue that I think is a statewide
0: issue. Would it Chair,
2: and then Chairman King? In terms of the locals and victories or non-victories um, in the oil and gas industry at this particular time, uh, obviously it reinforced state regulation. But in terms of local victories, and it may not seem that like that big a deal, but they had a lot of victories in the, the water that uh, Representative Isaac was talking about, there were a plethora of bills. Uh, filed to try and limit the ability of local entities to manage their groundwater and uh, surface water and most all of those uh, didn't pass and that was a victory for all of your local groundwater conservation districts. Uh, There were bills to limit you know a lot of the local municipal things that people do like plastic bags and that type of thing that are environmental issue that those bills didn't didn't pass so they can still do a bag ban if they want to. Um, There were several others like that. There was uh, so there were a lot of victories. I felt like for the environmental folks. Uh, I think there was an effort, wasn't there, uh, Eddie, to uh, repeal some of the renewable energy mm-hmm. uh, things, and those those didn't pass. That didn't pass, So yeah, uh, they uh, they had some victories. Sure. I'm not as familiar with that as y'all are on that committee. But. Yeah.
3: Well, and then you know going to House Bill 42, I, you know 40 as well. You know. A, Darby is a friend of mine, and I uh, did have some issues with that bill. I mean, being a member from Travis County, in Austin—I mean, you don't have a lot of oil and gas exploration here in Austin. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, I think your your question was more of a kind of a broader: what about this local control thing we keep hearing about? So you have people in cities like Denton that are quite conservative, generally speaking. The voters that are voting over in big numbers to try to ban it. So I think, but I, my uh, understanding of House Bill 40 was we shouldn't allow cities to just totally ban fracking and whatever else. I think this just went beyond that though, because I think if you look at the bill, it doesn't just talk; it doesn't just accomplish that. It, it has almost at every level of the production, right? So should a city be able to say, well, you can't have, when it comes to storage, let's say of some, some of the stuff that it can't be X number of feet from a school, or if there's some other types of issues, trucking, roads, that kind of stuff, all of that's within that entire, you know, oil and gas production, right? So this went to say that locals have no control over any aspect of it whatsoever. So I think it went a little bit, little bit far and that's my concern. Again, I'm not gonna see oil, oil rigs in, uh, in my uh, district anytime soon, but I'm just thinking as far as a local control thing, if, we're, if we talk about that, we sh- I don't think it was necessary to take away all of it. I did understand the idea that you, the state has a, as a whole has an interest in oil and gas exploration and it should be under the purview of the state, but I don't believe that all of it had to be taken away from the local governments. That was my position on it.
0: Well, I wanna make sure we have time to talk about water. But So very quickly before then, though, I do wanna ask about the Clean Power Plan because that is a looming federal regulation, obviously, uh, above the state and all other states. And uh, Vice Chair Rodriguez, you did mention um, that a little bit earlier on in our conversation. Should Texas consider legislation directing the state to follow the Clean Power Plan or not to follow the Clean Power Plan. We've seen some precedent with this. There were other federal regulations that were not followed in Texas and, and a federal plan was created and it created all, this, all these issues for business. So what should we do this time around? Let's say we don't win a lawsuit against the EPA over this plan, what well, happens next? Well, we don't
3: have a great track record of winning those lawsuits as of late anyway. But so, um, well, I filed a bill that, that said that Texas should go ahead and do kind of our version of the Clean Power Plan. Uh, and there was another bill that was filed that said we shouldn't do it at all. So here's, here's the deal. So in 20, I think it's August of 2016, we have to have either a, have a plan in place or we can have a two-year extension is my understanding. So I, I believe at the minimum we'll probably do a two-year extension anyway. So We're going to kick it down the road. Uh, and then whether the state decides to sue, which I don't know if that's started happened quite yet. I think they're waiting for it they're to be waiting.
0: published in the Federal Register before filing Before
3: the filing it, but that'll, that'll probably happen. So you're kicking it down the road. I think it's in our best interest to, to come up with something that, that is for Texas, the way we wanna do it, to achieve those goals. I think that's in our best interest to do versus potentially losing a case and then have the feds come in and kind of dictate how we're gonna do it. It's better for us to be able to, to do it ourselves and how we wanna do it, in my view.
0: Anyone else want to weigh in on that? Chairwoman, you think that's something the committee should take up? Well,
4: I, th- I think it's something that we definitely, you know, will be looking at. I and mean, I agree with Eddie, I mean, tex- if you look at Texas and what the EPA was looking at, it didn't necessarily fit our circumstances. And so I think we really have to look at all the different regulations and the regulations they actually came out with to say this is what we're going to do. I mean, we we're all waiting to see what was going to happen. Uh, but it's something I think we definitely need to look at because we also uh, have to make sure that everyone has electricity and power and how do we do that and how do we achieve that and not go to a point where we cannot incrementally work on uh, achieving the right goal.
1: Chairman Morrison alluded to it earlier, <coughs> that about 80% of our emissions in the state are from vehicles and about 20% is from industry including uh, electric and power generation. So the clean power plan, attacks that 20% which has made incredible strides just over the last 15 years in reducing emissions. My concern with, I haven't met a regulation that doesn't increase costs or taxes and I haven't talked to a single constituent of mine that wants to pay more for their electricity bill or that wants to not have electricity for a few hours a day we've got our electricity here in the state of Texas has actually decreased, the cost has decreased in the last 15 years. It's up 22% throughout the nation, but in Texas it's decreased because we've really diversified our portfolio of generation and we've done that while cleaning our air at the same time. It's cleaner today again than it was 20 years ago and this regulation is said to lead to a potentially 60% increase in the cost of electricity.
0: Let's say though that it's the law of the land. Should the legislature deal with it? Should the legislature direct the TCQ to follow it? Because last time this happened, the TCEQ said, well, we never, the legislature didn't tell us what to do. We didn't follow it. The feds came in and didn't have a great result.
1: The solution that I'll be looking for is to tell our state agencies to do what's gonna have the least impact on the people that I serve. And when you have an increase in cost of electricity, ultimately that's gonna affect the least among us more than anyone else. And so those are the people that I fight for every day And so I will work to pass legislation that that again, has the smallest if minimal or or no impact at all on the people that I serve. And if that's telling the TCEQ not to implement the Clean Power Plan, then that's it.
0: So it's better to have the feds come in and implement their own plan in that case? I think
1: we really have to stand our ground and say, look what we've done over the last 20 years that our constituents, the Texans, cannot afford to pay more for electricity. You're You're gonna see people that are gonna go off the grid Uh, That'll put one megawatt generators in the back of their homes using natural gas or diesel or propane and generate their own electricity you're already starting to see that with buildings uh, with Industry throughout the state where they're just not hooking up to the power grid They're generating their own electricity which requires permits, but that's not power generation That's regulated by uh, the EPA like they're going after in the clean power Plan.
0: Okay. Well, I want to make sure we have a few minutes to talk about water Uh, obviously uh, It's we had HB 3405 uh, that, that you worked on very hard this session, Representative Isaac, um, and, you've, and you've alluded to the need for some sort of statewide potentially regulation of groundwater. I think that might make some other members of the panel nervous, but how do we deal with this? So
1: House Bill 3405 expanded the jurisdiction of the Barton Springs edwards Aquifer Conservation District, and we had this area in Hays County that was completely unprotected. There was no groundwater district, and uh, this company from Houston said we're going to come in and and literally within a thousand feet of two districts we're going to take five million gallons per day of water and move it east to some other entities Uh, and and that was something that i had discovered oh gosh probably two years ago now that there was this unprotected area of hayes county and i immediately thought well gosh we've got to get them in a groundwater conservation district it needs to be protected and we need to do it while protecting private property rights so long before i heard of this company from houston i had already started to work with a solution and talking to my local elected officials It pretty much fell on deaf ears until this company from Houston pops up and they're going to drill this massive project. Then everybody starts screaming, we've got to fix this, we've got to fix this. So I filed, I think, four pieces of legislation to address the issue. 3405 was the one that I think died on day 137 and was (laughs) resurrected on day 138 and passed on day 139 out of 140. And then on day 140, we just couldn't let the fun end. We had a technical correction. Uh, so literally took every <laughs> single day of the session and, and then some. But we did get it passed. We now, we now have a district. It went into effect immediately upon the governor's. Uh, he didn't sign it, but he, he, it became law. Uh, so now this district is there, and it's working. I, literally, I think this is the most written-about piece of legislation that I've ever worked on. Uh, there was an article in our local newspaper uh, in Dripping Springs that serves Hayes County talking about the requested permits. So you have people that have now... Registered their wells. It's there's no fees or or taxes. There's no taxes at all in the district There's no fees for exempt wells or agricultural wells or for for residential wells, but commercial wells You do have production fees that would be in place if you do put those wells Uh, But we're we're gonna have science we're monitoring the Mm -hmm. groundwater in that geographic area Uh, So we're gonna know what the effect is and the legislation passed just says you can really take as much water as you want as long as it doesn't affect the desired future condition of the groundwater or has an unreasonable effect on Neighbors. And I know the lawyers are going to love the unreasonable effect, what's unreasonable and what's reasonable.
0: Well, and this is, I think, you know, you also, the the other bills that you filed did look at, let's see if we can get some more of a statewide system. So I'm curious what the other members of the panel think. How can we address this? Do we need a more centralized regulation system of groundwater? Chairman King?
2: I don't think so. No, I don't. Um, And the people that usually push that are the ones that didn't like the answer they got from the local groundwater district. And, uh, and you know, it's human nature, if they don't tell you what you want to hear, where well, they, they got to be bad. And, uh, and they usually don't tell you what you want to hear because it involves money, I mean, your money. And so you're disappointed because you thought she's going to make some money in some aspect there. And then a district doesn't tell you what you want to hear, well, then they're a bad agency. And you see that across government. That's human nature. Um, but I, don't, I think that, that uh, ground, local groundwater conservation districts are not perfect creatures. Uh, they're subject to the whims of locally elected officials a lot of times, but day in and day out, I think they get it right, and uh, and we need to protect them. I think it's still the best way to manage groundwater, in my view.
3: I would say minimally, um, I want, first want to commend Jason on the all the hard work that he did this past session. I was happy to just do whatever I could to try to help him on that, but I, think it, I didn't know about these so-called white zones, which is these areas that don't have any... Uh, any district over them. There are apparently many of them across the state of Texas. I was, I, I, on Friday, I was trying to get an answer uh, from uh, the state agency. I just, I called too late, so I didn't get it. But there are, there are several of them around the state. I think minimally we should probably cover them all under some district. And uh, so minimally that. I have to say, uh, I, I, I think I agree with Chairman King on, on the, the, the local districts, uh, but I think we should, as a state, maybe have more stringent uh, kind of guidelines so there's more consistency but maybe let uh, at the local level let them figure out what they want to do it is a private property it's totally different than than rivers and streams and all that stuff it's a private property kind of issue and it's a very complicated issue but uh, i think probably some more guidance along the lines of you know a, a, a plan that's kind of statewide that we can kind of guide the local districts to do what they need to, to do to abide by that state plan might be a, a good way to go
1: I think it's in statute right now that if you're in a priority groundwater management area, and I think that is that designated by the Water Development Board? Yes. So if you're in a a pigma priority groundwater management area, you have to be in a district. And there's geography throughout the state that is are in these pigmas, that's not in a district and there's there's one here in Travis County. And, And so this issue could pop up again, right there in that white space. Right.
2: Oh, there's a lot of them around the state. There's several of them close to where I live. And, and, in theory, uh, the state has the ability to place you in a district or to create a district if you don't ever get around to doing it because of political uh, concerns or whatever. Uh, they have never done that, to my knowledge, but, but they can.
0: Well, I think we're ready to uh, take some questions if folks want to uh, line up at the microphones, please. That way we can we can hear you. So you can see microphones on either side of the room if you can stand behind those. Um, we'll get to some questions. Yes, ma'am.
2: So I, wanna, I
4: wonder if I'm right about this. And I honestly don't know. Um, you, if you're a property owner in Denton, and you don't want fracking in your backyard, your property, your property value is lessened. That's your rights as a property owner. But if you own the groundwater underneath your house, nobody can take that. Is that right? Not exactly. I mean, are there different ranks of property owners in Texas? Sounds like it, I'm just confused. And the other thing is, if the contested case hearing, the burden of proof, you know, you're all gonna wait to see if it works, who has the burden of proof to prove that it isn't working? And how do they do that?
0: So on the first question, um, you know, I think there's actually a case in the Texas Supreme Court about this right now. Do surface rights trump, uh, mineral rights trump surface rights? Do they trump groundwater rights? do groundwater rights trump surface rights? I'm not sure, but uh, thoughts on thoughts on that.
3: My understanding of it is like you know, like oil. Uh, it's very similar to oil. Like water, it, you can sit on a on groundwater, uh, but it, if it if it goes over several different pieces of private property, someone that's could be miles away from you could be drilling, and that if that takes the the groundwater under your property, that. That's okay. I mean, that's my understanding of it, right? The 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 person, the other person has just as much right to access that groundwater as I do. It's my obligation, or my duty, or my responsibility to get the water underneath my property. The same, it's similar to oil and gas. is a very similar kind of thing. That's my understanding of how it works.
0: I think it's still being figured out, but the second, but I think second, the
3: mineral rights are, I, I believe, are a, are. A, considered above those within reason
0: Uh, the second question was about contested case but did you want to? well I think
2: what you can say and I was thinking about the question um, to see exactly what uh, certainly to the extent that if 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 you're not the owner of the minerals underneath your property then a the person that owns the minerals does have access to to drill those minerals or have the legal right to drill those minerals because those mineral rights trump the surface rights Now, that doesn't mean, and they may or may not be in your backyard today with horizontal laterals, you know, they may be a mile away, but they'll still be producing the minerals underneath your property. Um, However, if you own a piece of property, uh, they don't have the right, of course, you have an ownership interest in the groundwater underneath your property, but if for some reason that had been severed at some time, I don't think you have a right to go and a water well in somebody's backyard I don't think you do and I think that's what she was saying it's it's, it's a different different situation like that
0: mm-hmm. because the
2: con- they are treated differently from that aspect right. on that, you're right yeah.
0: on the contested case hearing who who has the burden of proof under this new law who should have the burden of proof if you don't agree with it
4: well under the c- contested case what it says is after you've gone through the process the company has gone through the total process and has their draft permit they have gone through the burden of proof to, to uh, get the draft permit. And so if they have gone through the whole time frame and everything is agreed upon that they have proven that they're not uh, harming you know, the air, the water, and all of that with their permit, they have gotten that draft. And so that is then we've done it. And so the burden of proof is to prove that there's something awry with the regulations that TCQ has given that permit draft. And so that has always been that the person that's challenging it has to prove that there is an issue with that. And so the burden of proof change is that we have had several judgments in the Texas courts about the burden of proof that if if the company has done it and they have the draft permit, that means they have proven that they have met all the requirements. And then the burden of proof then is to prove that something is wrong with it.
0: Okay, sir.
5: I would like to ask a question that combines the first topic of contested case hearings with the last topic about groundwater and groundwater districts. And um, just by way of introduction, my name is Glenn Sherman and I practice in this area as as an attorney for 25 years on all sides. And Chairman King, this may surprise you the way that I approach my question. Um, Right now, for the, the largest extent of my practice is primarily representing landowners who want to protect their supplies, not to sell it, but for their own domestic and livestock use. Here's my question. Groundwater Conservation Districts, unlike the PUC, unlike the Railroad Commission, and unlike the TCEQ, are exempt from complying with the Administrative Procedures Act, which was created to protect the due process rights of citizens. And so what I'm observing is that landowners, at least in groundwater rights proceedings, don't have the large interest who are paying people to gain the system. Most of the landowners who come in and protest are just concerned about their own water resources. But what's happened is, since the groundwater districts don't have to comply with the Administrative Procedures Act, they at times are completely running over, in my opinion, the landowner's rights and um, to their detriment. So you really don't have a balanced system and I don't care if the permittee is a water marketer or the permittee is a city. That seems to be the case. So my question to you is have y'all been in any discussions or would you be, what is your opinion about looking at whether or not groundwater districts should comply with the Administrative Procedures Act? And I'll leave you with one other little factoid and that is I know that the reason it was, they were made exempt originally was because the groundwater districts were saying it would add too much cost. I would submit to you that groundwater districts have been paying an inordinate amount of money to go fight these cases because the APA has not applied. Mm-hmm. So have you all looked at it? What are your opinions on it? Uh, Representative Isaac, I think this pertains directly to your situation, because landowners are trying to get a voice, and it's difficult for them to do so unless you've got political pressure
2: but not by way of the administrative system. Sure. You know, Len, we uh, we did put some, uh, well, the Edwards Aquifer Authority, when it was created originally, had to comply with the Administrative Procedures Act. And they did for a number of years, and I Mm -hmm. supported that. Um, And that's probably one of the largest and most sophisticated groundwater organizations in the state of Texas. And they eventually came to us and said, we can't do this. This is just too much. And it's too expensive, and it's unnecessary. And so the legislature let them out a part of that, if not all of it. They still have a pretty extensive procedure. So that was a, sort of the test case, in my view, on whether or not the Administrative Procedures Act is the right way to go. Now, I do agree, and I said that in my comments when I talked about groundwater districts in, in response to Nina's question. I do think you do need some, some, uh, some predictability and some consistency in the way that they handle their permits. And, uh, and I do think that we need to look at that. And there was uh, pretty extensive discussions this last time about being able to take a permit to SOA versus uh, the courts and, and all of those types of things. And um, I, think that that, I think you're right that we need a more consistent, reliable, dependable, uh, inexpensive process. Whether the Administrative Procedures Act in its entirety is the answer or not is what I, I'm not sure about.
0: Uh, last question from the gentleman over here. Uh, sure. I live in uh, Jason Isaac's district, and I want to thank him for the work on protecting the aquifers. But when it comes to electricity generation, my name is Mike, and for the record, you have just met a constituent who would be willing to pay a modest increase for electricity generated in a more environmental friendly manner. And given your previous remark, I just
1: thought I had to kid you about that. <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks, Mike. I want to actually address that, because I think that's something that consumers should have the choice to do. And uh, I lived in Dallas years ago and had this option because uh, they were in a competitive market. And I went with uh, someone that was perceived to be a more environmentally friendly option that generated their electricity, or at least credits, you know, purchased credits from wind generation. Uh, and I signed up for that service knowing that I could pay more as a consumer, but it was something that I personally wanted to do as a choice that I made, and I think that consumers should have that choice, uh, and I live in the Peternaus Electric Co-op, and I'd love to see the option on my electricity bill. Would you, rather have, would you rather pay a little bit more to have your electricity generated via wind, and so that people can actually choose, rather than being forced, uh, to pay for other people to have Uh, wind-generated or solar-generated electricity. I I think it's great. I'm a big fan of diversified electric generation portfolio, but I think consumers should have this option uh, to because I believe some would, and especially here in Travis County, I think people, uh, it might probably even be a majority of people, would say, yeah, I want to pay a little bit more knowing that my electricity is being generated by some cleaner sources or cleaner than others uh, and and pay more to have that option rather than uh, a city adopting these renewable goals that I think in some cases are unattainable uh, the city of Denton came out and said they were going to do 70% renewable a couple of weeks ago. What's going to be the cost impact for those people that are, don't have a choice, that have to buy their electricity from the city of Denton? Uh, again, I'm just concerned that we're driving up cost to the least among us that have those burdens much higher than others. And so I'm glad that you would, you would take that choice. Uh, I probably would as well as I have in the past. I just think we need to have that option rather than being mandated uh, on us. Thanks for the comment.
0: It is now past 2.47, so let's thank our panelists and thank you for your great questions.
1: Thank you. Thank you.